I went back and forth for a long time where I was like, oh, I'm bisexual. Wait, no, I'm gay. Wait, no, I don't know if I'm anything. I'm just not going to use a label for a while because I don't want to like stick myself to like one person that I can fall in love with. And I don't necessarily know what any of this means. Once I got into college, somebody gave me the word queer. I was like, wait, I think that's it. I think that's the word. <laughs> Can you say it again? I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I speak with Maura Lee B., who is an author. And more specifically, uh, Maura is an author that is queer, and she writes stories sort of targeted towards and to help people in the LGBTQ community. Um, a lot of the narrators and characters in her stories tend to be very untraditional. Um, she writes about abuse victims, uh, like parents of uh, whose children have died, uh, other LGBTQ characters, addicts, things like that. Um, people who are, are really struggling in life in some way and going through something difficult. Um, and she has had stuff published all over the place. She is a, uh, what would be called a multi-genreist writer. So she doesn't just write only stories or articles or whatever it is. She writes stories, articles, plays, poetry, all sorts of things. Um, and so that is one of the things that we'll talk about is sort of the, um, difficulty and fun of writing in all these different spaces and we'll also talk a lot about the role of literature in the development of youth and how much uh, literature meant to her when she was growing up and she was struggling uh, with her sort of identity and figuring out who she was and how that is something that she hopes to do as well as an author is, is help other people that are going through similar struggles like that so without further ado here is lgbtq author Maura, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Great to be here. Yeah, for sure. So I think I would like to start with, if you could go back and tell us what literature meant to you growing up and how literature sort of helped influence your development as a young person. Um, I feel like your your writing style is so unique and the sort of your goal and the things that you want to do with your writing are are really cool. And I would imagine a lot of that takes took root like way, way back when in your childhood. So if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, yeah. Writing and literature was always really prominent in my life. Um, my love for it definitely started at a young age. Um, when I was growing up, my grandmother lived with us the first couple of years of my life and she was a huge bibliophile. Um, so I definitely get my love of reading from her. But I assume I that's somebody who's really into the Bible. No. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> okay. No, what is that? Like she was like she collected a lot of books, and she was like a huge reader. And she and my parents would read to me all the time. That even before I could read on my own, I used to like toddle into her apartment and like in the house and like rip books off the shelves and like have her read them to me. That's awesome. And it would be like you know I could hand her like an encyclopedia, and she would just read it to me or like maybe make up a story, but I just really enjoyed books and having them in my life from a very young age. And 
I think I learned to read when I was like three. Holy crap. Um, so after that, it was when I kind of just took off on my own. But in terms of writing and getting serious about writing, that started to happen also when I was very young. I uh, started writing a lot of short stories when I was in elementary school. And when I was in junior high, I wanted to be a comic book artist. And I realized that I wasn't very good at drawing. Um, and I didn't really have the patience for drawing. So uh, when I was taking a creative writing class, because I thought very visually, I took a lot of my stories that I had for comics and wrote them into these really vivid short stories or poems. And I was also super into poetry at the time. And my teacher just very much took me under her wing and very much was like, you have an act for this. You should pursue this. And it just that was kind of the point where I started to take writing seriously. And I decided I was about 13. I decided I'm going to be a writer. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a concept that you go into in a TED talk that you did, which, which I really love where, so actually first, before we do that, uh, let's set the table with sort of the, uh, type of writing that you do nowadays in terms of the uh, multi-genres of writing and then if also specifically you want to tell people about um like the lgbtq sort of writing um emphasis that you like to do when i decided to become a writer my main thing was that i wanted to i phrased it at the time as save people what i really meant was i wanted to and still hope into people and build a community of people. Basically just help people in understanding issues that they may not understand or understand things about themselves that they might not be in touch with. When I started writing, that was the main goal in mind. And that's still kind of my mission statement now as a professional. So perhaps from a more like sp specific uh statement or perspective that would be that would look like something like helping a young person or a child that is going through um, gender or identity issues or, or something like that and they feel outcast because of something like that in a very specific way like your stories and your characters could help them out um, and perhaps could have helped a, a younger yourself out when when you were that age but also, obviously, at large, kids go through things in general, you know, like it doesn't have to be necessarily an identity issue or something. Maybe you're you're just going through a really, really hard time in your family or personal life or whatever it is, or you're, you're being abused or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, your your sort of writing and everything aims to also help people like that. Yeah, my my writing in general definitely definitely aims to help people that are going through something. I try to when I when I explain to people what I write specifically, a lot of the time I'll say that I write LGBTQ or queer fiction or poetry or whatever we're discussing at the time. But I think when it comes down to it, the mo the main thing that I say to people is that I write stories about people. And it sounds super pretentious, but it's definitely not. Um, I aim to write very slice of life fiction and poetry in order to, if there is somebody who's reading this that is going through something, it might help them over 
overcome that situation or better understand it or just get different ideas of how to go about their journey that we call life. I love that. It, it makes me think so much about in this. It's something that you bring up uh, quickly in your TED talk, but it makes me think of, of someone like Harry Potter, like, you know, in it, it, to the point of like people just going through things and stuff. Like if you're a kid and it's funny because i read harry potter closer to like an adult age i think i was reading harry potter when i was in college or something um just because i didn't care to read when i was a child but uh it's like if you think about like harry potter it's like his parents are dead like he has to live under the stairs for god's sake you know spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't read harry potter he has to live under (laughs) the stairs you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but it's like those those are really difficult things too. And it's like, so if you're a kid that's reading that, you might not have dead parents. You might not have uh, to live under the stairs. Yet it, it, it it's relatable just in the sense of here's this person that's going through this very difficult thing. And even they can do great things. Even they can come out okay from this. It's, it's so much better to have someone like that as a protagonist or someone to get behind than to just have it be the freaking like quintessential captain of the football team or something like that. You know, it's like, that's not very helpful. Oh yeah. And I mean, people don't want to read stories about people who do nothing and people who have everything going for them. That's why the Mary Sue trope is so terrible because it's actually not beneficial in any way to the reader. It's very like ho-hum kind of attitude and like, like why create stock characters when you can create this rich world in which your characters live and have it be as much like a realistic world as possible. Cause you can't necessarily say real world. Cause you know, it's not. Um, but I mean, just for an example, I uh, was working on a short story about like three, uh, like three adolescent girls that, go to a haunted house as sort of a rite of passage. And, you know, that's a very classic story, right? And, you know, the whole story is about them trying to actually save this haunted house because it's a rite of passage and because it's something that they've grown up with. But it's also about, like, loss of innocence. And it's also about, like, you know, bringing friends together and how difficult that can be for someone. And even when you're reading that, whether you're reading that as, you know, as young as like 15 or, you know, as old as like 45, like those are relatable concepts. Like it's really difficult to bring groups of friends together. It's really difficult to accept losses and, you know, um, break traditions. So it's really important either way, um, to be able to read that story and get something from it. Yeah, absolutely. What are the writers? So Right now, the work that you're doing, you could say, like I said, if you want to look at it like very specifically, would be a really awesome thing for um, somebody going through like an identity issue or something growing up to be able to read. Like Peter in the Concrete Jungle would be super awesome for a young kid that's going through something identity-wise to be able to read and to, to have something like that. What are things like writers i guess that you connected to and that you liked when you were growing up and then specifically when you were going through any sort of thing yourself that you know times have changed like now now kids are gonna have like right people in general are gonna have writers like you 
Um, but you know, 20 years ago, they, I don't know that there was that. Like, who who were some of the writers that you enjoyed and sort of inspired you to go in this sort of direction with your writing? Yeah, I think at a very young age, it was definitely writers like Judy Bloom and Patricia McCormick who really helped me go through particularly difficult times in my life. Um, uh, and it wasn't even like super fudge for Judy Bloom. It was um, her book, otherwise known as Sheila the Great, which focuses on Sheila who lives in their building as opposed to the two boys. And it's all about like overcoming fear and becoming independent and as a kid, I was incredibly skittish and introverted, and I didn't really have any friends. And childhood was difficult socially for me um, because people didn't like that I was different and didn't like that I was like creative and didn't like that, you know, I couldn't make eye contact with people. So it was the type of thing where it really, that was a book that really helped me um, become like. A strong independent woman and you know with, with Patricia McCormick I uh not unfortunately but I had um two of my best friends in junior high and high school were um on and off suicidal which as a young person was very difficult to deal with especially because I didn't necessarily have the tools to navigate that and was very much just kind of figuring it out as I went along totally. but cut by Patricia McCormick really gave me an idea of why, you know, why my friends would do something like self-harm and like why people did that in general. And it helped me become more empathetic of the situation because it was something that I could never understand from personal experience, but it definitely helped me um, be able to reach out to my friends and be able to communicate with them in a much more effective way. And as I got older, it was a lot more, um, queer literature. Um, the two books that kind of stick out the most in my mind are Annie in my mind by Nancy Garden, um, which was kind of the first lesbian YA novel that I ever read. And it was fantastic and I loved it. And it like really like made me feel better about who I was. And also, um, realm of possibility by David Levithan, which is probably one of his lesser known books. And actually, that combined with reading a lot of Ellen Hopkins uh, novels and verse gave me the idea that poetry is almost always a narrative when it's a collection, which is not the case at all. Um, and realizing that once I got into like deeper into high school and like into college, it was like very astounding and groundbreaking for me. Yeah. Um, but reading, reading the realm of possibility and hearing about, you know, all these different students' experiences and how their lives intersect really was a big influence on my writing and a big influence on how I looked at the world as a whole. So it's interesting hearing you you talk about all of that and like the way that these things influence you and the things that you notice from these writers and in these books. I wonder, like, at what point did you really start to notice these things in literature? And I sort of always wonder this about writers and everything, because it's so interesting how how we're all so different, like personality wise and like as personality types, and then how you yourself can be so different in so many different ways. Like you can be super uh, like like anal and specific in certain ways, and then super carefree in other ways. And it's like like I'm I'm in my head a lot, and I always like 
overthink things and everything. And yet whenever I read a book or whenever I watch something, I never consider even something as basic as like foreshadowing or something. Like I, I like never think about things like when I'm reading a book of like, oh, this might be what this author is trying to do or, oh, this author, it's like this nice literary device this author is doing this thing here. I'm, I'm just like only getting like entertainment value out of, but it like in the best way, you know, like I'm just sitting back and like watching these people's lives and like, that's it. And I, I, I rarely even consider how it relates to me or to my own life or, or messages or, or anything like that. Um, is that sort of thing something like you always notice when you were reading? Um, or is this something like a skill or a trait that you developed as you got older? Well, it's funny you say that because I had, have had a couple of teachers. And when I was in college, I also majored in media and film. And I took a lot of criticism classes and the way that they always for film studies classes introduced the class was this is how we're going to ruin movies for you. You're never going to be able to watch (laughs) movies the same way ever again. You're always going to see this stuff. So I think a lot of it is learned. Um, I think some of it for me was definitely things that I just noticed and I liked. Um, Because I can remember I wrote a short story for sort of little activity that we did in like fifth grade. And we had to write just like a little Christmas story. So I wrote like a mystery about like these like four girls and they were all like based off of my friends. And one of the characters was wearing a green sweater. But instead of using just the word green, I used the word evergreen because I thought that that was more specific. And that was just my choice. And my teacher, who was reading them aloud, like we didn't read them aloud, our teachers did. Um, my teacher who read it aloud, she, she actually stopped the class and went, did you all hear that? And no one else, no one else cared. Then yeah, she was totally. just like, she used the word evergreen. That's so specific. And that's amazing. And I remember just thinking to myself, is it? I don't, I don't know what's so amazing about that. That's like people use that in books. And I guess that's why that was amazing was because I noticed something like that in a book that I liked. And I said, Oh, well I could do that. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is trying, trying things out too and seeing what works. Um, Cause definitely there are a lot of, there are definitely a lot of writers who um, write things unintentionally. I know I've gone back and looked at short stories that I've written and I've gone, Oh, well, I did not mean to have this whole theme running throughout. It's but so guess- this is like exactly what I wanted to ask you. Yes, this yeah. is like my follow up question is like, to what extent are you aware of doing these things when you're actually writing? Like when you're writing a story, do you just get uh, like enveloped in it? And it's just like pouring out of you sometimes and you're not even, re- you know, it's like, oh, I just have this story I want to tell between these two people. And then later on, you read it and you're like, oh, wow, there's like this depth of this thing and this other thing or like you're purposely layering in that depth as you're going along. I definitely think for me, it's about 50, 50, 50 percent of the time I'm doing things really intentionally. And then about 50 percent of the time it's it just sort of happens. And maybe it happens on a conscious on an unconscious level um, where because I've studied literature for a long time and I've studied film for a long time, that these concepts are just kind of ingrained in my head, especially because I was such, I was such a huge reader growing up. And I read so many writers that did things like this, did very things very subtly and had 
strong foreshadowing and imagery. And I think it depends on the thing for me, like what specifically, I think in terms of imagery, I'm always like very, like it's always very intentional with imagery and symbols for me. But when it comes to like foreshadowing, maybe not, maybe that's more like some, like half of it is intentional, half of it isn't. Um, But yeah, I think it really depends like writer to writer. Um, But I definitely think for, I definitely think for most people, it's sometimes intentional, but sometimes not. With something like imagery and symbols and stuff, like how often do you notice that that other people notice that stuff? Or is it difficult to even ask yourself that question because you know a lot of people who are other writers and really into books and stuff like that. So it's like an unfair group of people. Well, not even because I, you know, have discussions with my grandmother about books and she's somebody who reads a lot. She reads because she enjoys it. And sometimes she picks up on, you know, certain significance of things, but sometimes she'll, sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she'll ask me, she'll be like, Oh, what do you think this means? Um, I know that I gave her, after I did a project for one of my graduate classes, I gave her the collection of poems that I had written for the class uh, to read because I thought that she would find them interesting. And she was like, you know, I don't know if I really get poetry. And I was like, well, do you enjoy it? And she was like, I do. And I was like, then there's nothing to get. I was like, you know, poetry sometimes is a story, sometimes is a focus on an image, and sometimes is just for fun. I mean, so a lot of my poems were based off of images or specific scenes in mind. And I was like, there's no, there's no trick here. It's just, if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And that's kind of what matters. Um, that's why they have li- like literary scholars are the people who are supposed to like follow those things. So I don't <laughs> right. necessarily has to get those things. And you it's know. such a good life lesson, what you just said about your discussion yeah. with your grandma and thinking about poetry and stuff. I think a lot of people are that way with poetry. I, I know I certainly am where it's like, I don't, I don't know like what's going on here. Like, what am I supposed, you know, it's like, just cause it's, it's different yeah. and it's shorter and like the cadence is different and all these things. And it's like, you feel like you're, you must not be understanding or like appreciating it enough, you know? Cause like yeah. at the end it's like, okay, was there something there that like, I just, I don't know that maybe I didn't get it or something, but, um, well, I think that it comes down to how poetry is taught. Um, I know that at the second, like at, you know, I went to public school and the way that a lot of my teachers up until, you know, my, I met my mentor in high school, um, a lot of my teachers basically just handed us a packet of poetry, poetry and went, go home, read it, come back and tell me what it means, which is like not a way to teach anything like at all. You're, you're first of all, like you're supposed to read poetry out loud. It is an orated medium. And that's half of it. Like if you're reading it out loud, you can hear the different sounds that are taking place. And even if you don't necessarily understand what's going on, you can appreciate then how pretty it sounds. So you already (laughs) just blew my mind. Like, I didn't know that. I like, now I want to read a poem out loud. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't learn that poetry should be read out loud until college when I took poetry classes. Um, but at that point I had already been taught a little bit better how to dissect a poem and just how to look at it from from a non-rigid standpoint, because, you know, art isn't supposed to be rigid, right? And my, I just remember my intro to poetry class. It wasn't even, 
I took it with my playwriting professor and all he did was just like, you know, read them out loud and just would wait about a second and just be like, did you hear that? Did you listen to that? And then we just move on to a different poem. Like we didn't necessarily have to dissect what every single poem meant. It was like, listen to William Carlos Williams describe, you know, how he ate these peaches. Isn't that amazing? Like just sort of like different, different ways of listening to poetry and just sort of appreciating it for the art that it is instead of trying to, you know, hold it on this pedestal. It's like the greatest of life lessons boiled down into that. You know, like just just appreciating it for what it is and moving on. And that's that. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody read something of yours and they see something in it that you did not even notice yourself? I was writing a short story and it was it was supposed to be the assignment was write a hero's journey. Um, everyone else wrote like five page stories. I ended up writing like this 30 page epic about like a girl who had been in a fire and his her mom had died in the fire and it was basically about like her meeting her mother's sister for the first time and her like journeying to meet her mother's sister and you know what that entailed and all the people she interacted with and there's like a fight scene in the middle of it and she eventually meets her mother's sister and she like kind of gains some closure about her mother's death and finds out more about who she is wow that sounds amazing thank you and i you know I, i wrote this you know maybe like five or six years ago and i was looking back on it like two or three years ago, because I had an assignment for a class where I had to um, write a screenplay. And I thought that it was just going to be easier to adapt this short story into a screenplay than to just kind of uh, scrape up a new idea. And also my professor didn't like the idea that I had. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to make this easier on myself. And I'm going to write this adaptation of my own short story. And as I was rereading it, you know, and there's only like a few years difference from when I wrote it to when I was reading it then, but I had a different set of eyes on it and a different like sense of literature. And I just went, oh my God, this whole story is about PTSD. And I didn't even realize, (laughs) like, I didn't realize at the time what I was writing. And then reading it at that moment, I was like, had this revelation of like what I did and how I didn't even realize what I did, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. You know? Are you able to look back on things like that exact instance, like and look back on things that you wrote in the past and be like, dang, you can see how much what I was going through in my life colored what I wrote right here. But at the time, I didn't really realize how much my experiences were coloring this. Oh, definitely. And even, you know, going back and looking at, Um, Because I wrote online a lot when I was first starting out, Um, going back. And so a lot of my stuff is out there, which is really interesting. And also, please don't look for it because it's all really bad. (laughs) (laughs) But my looking at some of my short stories or some of my like longer works, um, just looking, looking at them, I you can see the threads you can see like the starting of like me building my voice and like threading in certain ideas. And, you know, although the, the language is a little 
the language and word choice might be a little juvenile because I wrote it when I was 13, 14, you can start to see who I was as a writer and who I was as a creator. Um, you know, sometimes I'll go back and I'll read like, you know, a short story that, you know, it's fine. And then, but there'll be like this one really good image and I'll be like, I'm going to like go back in time and steal that from myself. Cause that's a really good image and that could be used for something much better. Um, or like, I'll go back and rework that short story. But I think a lot of me looking back on my stuff, like it's, it's a lot of, oh, you can kind of see what I was doing here. Or like, these are the beginnings of like who I was as like a writer and as a person. Yeah, which totally. Is cool. uh, talk about your, I get I, it decision, lack of a decision. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, of writing in like every which form as opposed to dedicating your time to one specific form of writing. And does that like in the writing community, is that thought of as a good thing, a bad thing? Like, does that make it more difficult to succeed, less difficult? Um, I think, I think there aren't enough writers who write in multiple genres. I think it's great that people focus on one genre. That has never been for me. I started in poetry um, a long time ago and, and, you know, then gradually gravitated to short stories and then eventually returned to my roots of poetry once I got back into college. And to th- I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine myself as a writer who only writes short stories. Like that is absurd for me as like my own person, because I'm kind of a jack of all trades type person. I like doing film. I like doing art. I like, you know, I used to work in costume design. I used to work in theater and to kind of narrow it down to kind to one thing, one specific, and like not only one thing, but like one specific genre to write for the rest of my life just seemed really just absurd. I was like that, that doesn't work for me as a person um, because I appreciate so many different forms of writing and art that I'm going to just do all those different, um, those different forms of writing and art. Um, There's something, and I think that it makes us better writers as a whole, Um, the best advice that I ever received was from my mentor in high school. And I had given him a couple of short stories. He had been going through a lot of stuff personally, so he hadn't had time to take a look at what I was writing. And he ended up just looking at all of the short stories that I had given him at once. And I asked him, I was just like, oh, so, um, what did you think of my short stories? And he was, he, he was familiar with my work. I mean, I was a junior in high school, I was looking to build my writing portfolio and he, he just said, Oh, you know, these are really good. You're, you're a very good writer. And then he kind of furrowed his brows and he said, but they're all the same voice. And I was I like, that part of me was like, Oh, was that, is that bad? And he was like, it's not bad. He was like, but I think that to be a great writer, you need to develop different voices and think about writing in different genres and different kind of storytelling methods. And that blew my mind. I was like, you mean like this voice is good, but I should like get another one. (laughs) Okay. Like, and I just, you know, worked at that for I think the rest of the summer and I've continued to work on that now. 
Um, because you know, if all your narrators sound the same, that that's boring, right? Especially for your if you have an audience, like you know, you'll have that set audience, but then your audience can't grow from there. It's funny and, how many, fa- which I I think this, I can't imagine how other writers feel. Like I can't imagine how you feel, but how many like famous, famous, famous writers are that basically just keep writing the same book over and over again? You know, oh, yeah. like, and it's just like that's crazy. Like not to just totally single out one person but like every damn brown book is the same book and it's like that's fine like like because they're all really good by the way so like i like i enjoy reading them but it's the exact same and and this guy is like doing so well you know like and uh but yeah that guy's advice is so good like margaret atwood who is a multi-genre writer who has like i think five different works and she's like in her 70s, which probably means that if she started writing at 18, she published like two or three things a year her entire life. Um, and Margaret Atwood's like a, an award winning, like globally renowned writer. And, you know, so you can, it's interesting how you can have both. You can have the person who writes just the one genre and the one story their whole career and they do very well. And then you have, you know, the Margaret Atwoods or even like the Neil Gaiman's who write multiple age ranges um, or just, you know, going from multiple, from fantasy to magical realism. And you can have those kinds of writers who are so successful as well. Um, So it's interesting how, how you can have both in the literary world. But overall, I think that, we're starting more to move into a world where we have more multi-genre writers, um, especially when we have like a lot of writers are going through MFA programs now. There are MFA programs rapidly growing that are multi-genre based that don't pigeonhole you into one specific story writing style for your entire career. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like it's it's one thing to write in just different genres but like different genres of fiction or i write these different genres of of nonfiction or whatever it is but like what you're doing like writing uh poetry and screenplays and short stories and full-length novels and all these things like that's very difficult and mm-hmm. and 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 is is more i would say like unique and you bring up like neil gaiman like because i'm not like a huge reader so i only know about like famous authors for the most part um but like Neil Gaiman was so interesting to me because he was the first person that I knew of that did anything like that. Like how he wrote Starlight and like all these other like full on just children's books. And then he has all these books that are like not fit for children at all and are like full on adult books. And I remember the first time I read one of his kids books and it was really, really good. And I was just like, that's it. Before I, before I read the book, I was just like, I guess how good could you be at writing a kid's book if you write, uh, you know, adult fiction and what would even make you want to write a kid's book or yeah, to write a kid's book. And then I read his kid's book and it's like, wow, this is great. You know, and I uh, get everyone in my family to read Coraline and they're all like, but it's like a middle grade novel. Like, can can we all relate to that? And I was like, yes, absolutely. You can. Totally. I was like, it's a story of bravery. You don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that we will do things like that with a book. and yet as adults we'll we'll say something like that with the book 
And yet there's so many adults who love watching like Pixar movies or something, you know, and it's like, oh, but but there's so many like layers of depth in the Pixar movie and there's jokes for the kids and the adults and blah, blah, blah. It's like, what do you think is going on in these books? You know, like it's it's odd. it's like that 10 times more, you know, like yeah, a kid is going to join it at their level and you're going to see a lot more in it, you know? Yeah, they have to make children's books at least a little interesting for kids, you know? Yeah. Um. Like, and for, not for kids. Oh my God. They have to make children's books a little interesting for the adults, you know? Cause you have to think that you know, the adults are the ones reading them to the kids. Yeah. So of course totally. they have to like, and but the adults are the ones buying them. So it's stuff like that where it's, it is interesting how, you know, people will look down on certain mediums. Like they'll look down on children's books or even look down on cartoons, not like Pixar, but like they'll look down on like, Bob's Burgers. They'll be like, "Well, that's a cartoon, and you're an adult. You shouldn't watch that." And I'm like, "It's a it's a cartoon made for adults. Like, what are you talking about?" I was literally just watching Bob's Burgers last night with The Simpsons. Yeah, totally right. So, um, all right, Maura, let's talk a little bit more about the LGBTQ uh sort of slant to your writing and and what you're trying to do on that side. So, uh, first, if you could really quickly, it. I assume you know your your TED talk well enough, even though it was a while ago. But I'm sure you had to to uh, say the same words over and over again in a mirror oh, enough yeah. times to be able to do that. I, you come up with this concept in your TED talk that I loved so much, which was talking about the difference between inspiration and connection for a young LGBTQ person. Um, if you could explain that sort of difference and where literature like finds its niche in there. Yeah, I mean, um, like a little bit of a little more more background about my TED talk overall. Um, what what inspired it wasn't just me writing Peter in the Concrete Jungle. It was also um, when I was writing it, a professor of mine was looking at it and um, helping me workshop it to kind of get it into good shape. And you know, she really encouraged me writing. Um, queer poetry. And the interesting thing that she said to me was, I love this because there isn't anything like it. There isn't a lot. There isn't really any LGBTQ focused poetry. And, you know, because I had been exposed to a lot of LGBTQ literature, I was like, well, that's not correct. Um, So that was sort of the main point with my TED talk was being a like young people being able to access um, queer literature and not only being able to connect to it and like understand it, but also to be inspired by it and wanting to engage in the community because you, you can connect to literature. I mean, you know, I can connect to Harry Potter. Like I get that. I get being like an isolated, lonely kid and, you know, not understanding who you are and where you come from. I totally get that. But that doesn't mean I was inspired by Harry Potter. I connected to him, but it didn't inspire me to go out and do something. And what I wanted to do with literature is I want people to be able to have both. I want people to be able to, you know, read my books and not only be like connect to the characters and understand what they're going through, but be able to have a conversation about it and be able to engage with each other about it. And maybe even like go out and, you know, stand up for the things that you believe in 
that are connected with the book. Um, Because the main thing for me is not only to connect with people, but also inspire them to have their journey in their life, especially young people who sometimes don't have the tools or the language to explore who they are, especially if, you know, you live in rural Kansas, you might not necessarily have, you know, the, the books or the resources to explore your identity. And it's much more difficult for you as a person. Whereas like me growing up as a kid in, you know, New York was very different because I did have access to those tools and I was able to grasp that language much quicker. And to be able to connect to a book is amazing and it's something that's meaningful and the books that you connect with on a very deep profound level um stay with you but the ones that inspire you are the ones that stay with you your entire life another thing that you touch on with relation to the uh inspiration and connection piece is a young gay person might be able to look up to someone like ellen degeneres or something and and think to themselves like wow she's gay she made it um like look at how well she's doing and all this stuff and you talked about how so that's inspirational right like that's this inspirational thing for this child and yet this child is also going through a very 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 difficult time right now so it's cool to look at ellen and be like all right ellen must have gone through this difficult time as well but to reference the captain of the football team thing it's like now she's basically the captain of the football team like she did have this hard time but now look at her you know and that in and of itself is inspirational the same way that in any story where it's like the uh nerdy girl gets a makeover and all of a sudden everyone likes it's like okay that's cool but now she's the made over girl you know and it's like i don't i can't really relate to that anymore and that's inspirational that she was able to do that but you mentioned the uh, the aspect in in writing and of creating characters that are of similar ages maybe to the kids or that are in the process of going through something difficult that that is what connection is versus just inspiration that that Ellen might be able to inspire a young gay person but she's probably not going to be able to connect with them as well because what do they truly have in common with her you know right and you know Ellen's coming, like Ellen's coming out, um, was at a different time in the world. I think when it comes to, um, literature is the fact that when, you know, you look at a book, like, like any of Judy Bloom's books, you look at a book like Super Fudge, or you look at a book like, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Those characters are the same age for the rest of time. Like their, their, their experience is like sort of in this time capsule and people are able to, that's why those books still appeal to those age groups because, you know, a nine-year-old who reads Super Fudge for the first time gets it. They're like, yeah, I, I have an annoying little brother. I understand that. I, you know, have kids that don't understand me. I get that. And you know, when it comes to, it's the same thing with like, are you there? God is me, Margaret too. Like young people are always going to be going through sexual awakenings and they're always going to be going through sexual awakenings from the ages of like, you know, 11 through like 15. So any 11 through 15 year old who reads that book is going to really understand it and have it resonate with them to a certain level. And that's why those books are still 
very prominent in the literary world and, you know, as, as like, you know, cultural icons and, you know, as these things that we know about and we understand. And, you know, when it comes to like, you know, the coming out story of Ellen DeGeneres, which is powerful and it's important and it definitely is something that can resonate with people. Um, it was at a different time. So kids that are coming out now, you know, 20 years later, they're going to have a very different experience. You know, they might have, they more, more likely have the experience of people say they accept them, but they don't necessarily understand them. And when you, and it's the same with, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, you, you can have both, like it, they're not mutually exclusive. It's not like, you know, Oh, some kid hearing Ellen DeGeneres' coming out story isn't going to find it helpful. No, they could. Absolutely. They could. Just my argument is the fact that, um, a young, like a young person who reads, reads a book that's the same coming out story that, every like hundreds of people can read and listen to and you know it's written in a way that it is accessible to young people um might resonate much more and might be much more helpful on that level definitely so talk a little bit about uh peter in the concrete jungle then and what that story is about and like what story you sort of wanted to tell there and who you sort of hope to help out with that book yeah so peter in the concrete jungle is um a poetic narrative or what one might call a novel in verse. Um, the, and basically the, the concept of it is um, it's about these two characters, Peter and Wendy, and the book is divided into two sections. And the first section is Peter's um, section. And it's, he's a trans man and he, it's all about his experience of growing up and transitioning and discovering who he is and what that means. And it's all about his, uh, you know, experience up to a certain point. And the second part of the book is about Wendy and it's all about her experience and coming out as queer and what that means for her and her issues with mental health. And, um, in Wendy's section, it, shows how she and Peter's lives lives intersect and how they entangle and how they influence each other in, you know, their journey of growth and self-discovery. And the whole thing with the book was that I wanted to create a narrative um, where people can empathize with these two characters. And I was finding it very frustrating because I was working a lot in, and I still am working a lot in like trans activism where it was getting very frustrating where I was watching people not understand my friend's experiences and like, just like they just, they would try, but they really could not wrap their heads around like, you know, gender dysphoria and what that means for a person and you know, what it, what it feels like to be misgendered and what it feels like to, you know, not, not feel like yourself and not feel like you're expressing yourself in a way that you want to and, um, or need to really. And the, you know, I started to write Peter's poems, um, and I wrote them, like, I was thinking a lot about film when I was writing it and, 
you know, they talk about how like, you know, especially in like Western, um, Western languages, we're all used to reading books from left to right. So I thought, well, why don't I make a poetry book that has everything right to left and like has all the poems on the wrong side of the page? And like, what does that do to the mind? And how does that make somebody feel uncomfortable in order to signify like Peter's discomfort? Um, I wanted to make the reader uncomfortable while he's going through it um, in order to be forced to understand exactly what he's going through. Right. Like he, he feels like he's like living his life on the right hand side of the page while everyone else is on the left. So when I started writing Wendy's section, um, cause Peter's section is also all written in the third person because I made that choice because, you know, I, you know, I don't necessarily identify as trans. I can't necessarily say that I know the exact trans experience. So as a writer, it felt, it felt more like a right decision to make it um, third person because that's not my story to tell. It's Peter's story to tell. And I, when I was writing Wendy's section, I wrote that all in the first person, especially cause it's um, that section is a lot closer to like her and like what she's feeling and like, you know, exactly what's going on in her mind. Whereas like Peter's is a lot more external looking in and for Wendy's section, I wrote a lot of like very chaotic poems and, you know, to have the two sections next to each other really balances it out for the reader to be like, Oh, well, these two people are going through what seems like very different things, but you know, look, their lives are intersecting and look, they can actually kind of help each other in their journey to finding out who they are and like what their identity means to them and how their identity will evolve as they grow. I love that so much. As as somebody that went through that sort of experience yourself, how do you think it sort of will change things or changes things for a young person to be able to read a story that very directly relates to them like this versus, like I said, reading, let's say, Harry Potter and being like, oh, see, he's going through a hard time. I'm going through a hard time. We're both going through hard times being able to be like, oh, this person is struggling with their queer identity and coming out as queer and all these things. And I'm struggling with literally the exact same thing. Um, like, I guess, what do you what do you think the difference is and, and how do you think that 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 is able to to help young people today? Well, I hope that the Peter and Wendy stories um can particularly resonate with a person with a person. And I hope that, you know, if they've had, whether they've had very similar or very different experiences in their, um, in their sort of queer identity journey, I, I just hope that they, um, they allow themselves to have that journey and to connect with other people and, you know, be able to just sort of be more in tune with themselves because I know when I read a lot of like LGBTQ focused literature, you know, my intention for reading it wasn't necessarily to understand myself better, but that's what I got out of it. Right. Um, only did I enjoy reading these people's stories, but I felt like, oh my God, I'm seen like other, like I exist. 
on the page and in real life like that's a that's pretty cool and being and it helps more in the process of like self-acceptance if anything um because so many so many kids like just don't like don't have the access to having the language and I think it's 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 definitely getting easier now with the internet but it definitely is also harder because of our current political climate to be able to be self-accepting when you're watching like all of these people publicly hate your identity well again that's also the internet you know it's like the internet lets everyone have a voice and it's good and bad and it's both a great and terrible thing yeah yeah it's uh I mean, I, I feel like most things in life are probably, it's like probably a metaphor for everything in life or something, you know, yeah. but I, I would imagine that a, uh, a large thought process for yourself and for other writers in the LGBTQ community is how do we get this in front of, of kids and young adults? Like you were saying, like perhaps a, like that's easier for somebody to access if they uh, have a library card in New York City than if they have a library card in like Topeka or something like that. Uh, is that something that you guys think a lot about and are, are working on trying to get more people access to, to literature like this? Yeah. I mean, I can't necessarily speak for other writers and artists, um, but I definitely think that the, this is where the internet like plays a really large role and like, it can have a really powerful impact because so many people like if you live in rural Kansas, you might have access to internet or your school does. So being able to access like, you know, like websites like everyday feminism and like, you know, being able to access like web comics, like, um, like man time or assigned mail and being able to like, you know, read comics about like the trans experience. Like that's pretty cool. And that didn't even exist when, I was like a young person. People were still very much like figuring out like the internet and like how to put stuff creatively on there. And when you have things like Patreon too, it's also beneficial for the artist because it's like, oh, you know, not only am I like putting my artwork and my life out there and like being active in the community and engaging and building an audience and probably helping kids in some capacity or helping like if not even kids, like helping just an audience be understanding or being able to have the journey themselves as adults, um, being able to have that and then also make an income is really just amazing. And, you know, the, all, all different artistic fields are rapidly changing and it's, it's really great to watch and it's really great to like, you know, see different, um, writers and artists being able to build an audience by utilizing the tools on the internet yeah totally it's such a good thing both ways like you said like it's it's great for the artist to be able to um get their stuff out there to people that value it and then it's really nice as a person that values something like you said about something like patreon it's nice as somebody that really appreciates something that somebody did to be like oh here's a dollar here's a couple bucks like that i'm sure that took some time like i appreciate that you did that you know versus um someone just being like a nameless voice that gave you this thing and you can't even really say thank you you know like in my creative process and in like building a community of artists and writers that like i directly communicate with like it's very important to me to have like the queer outreach but also to like be actually beneficial to like the LGBTQ community and like not be just like, Oh, I'm going to create a TV show about like 
queer people, but I'm only going to have straight people work on it. Like that's like, don't do that. Like I'm not, and that I frown upon it so much. And then like, you know, so in my own process, I'm like, well, I can't be a hypocrite. And like, I don't want, like, I don't even want to be a hypocrite. So I need to have as many people like that are in the community touching this as I can and like helping me as I can. And like, you know, but if you have the power to create jobs for like, you know, LGBTQ people, like then fucking do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, um, like that's why I have like, even though, you know, for a show like transparent, like a lot of people will say, and you know, I agree with them as well that like casting Jeffrey Tambor, somebody as like, who is like a cisgender male comedian as like a trans woman character. Like generally that's like something that's a really, not so great thing for the community. God, but he's so good at that role. Oh man, I love that guy. But totally like, oh. <laughs> but like at the same time, like Transparent is one of the only shows that is actively employing trans people. So like that is something that I feel like I can look away from because they're giving so many other trans people jobs and like so many other non-binary people jobs and so many other like, you know, queer people of color jobs that that is like, way better that I'm like, I kind of don't even care that Jeffrey Tambor is like playing a trans woman because like they're employing so many other trans people and they have so many other trans actors, which is like super awesome. And like, I didn't even like, I didn't have that growing up. And that's been a, like, that's been a show. That's something that as an adult has allowed me to like explore my gender identity a bit more. And, you know, I probably like would have done that down the line, but this has been something that is like kind of sped up the process of me, like understanding myself a bit better and understanding myself as a creator a bit better too, because like, this is then the standard where you look at a show, like, you know, take my wife, please. And like, that also like has a standard because they, they had, were so transparent in like their hiring process so much wanted to like hire like LGBTQ employees and, and like, you know, queer people of color employees and like disabled employees that they like really went out of their way. And then, you know, when unfortunately CISO, uh, was no longer a channel, they like posted about how, like, look, this is like all the great things that CISO allowed us to do because we were creating our own show and our own content. And because we were in control that we went out of our way to like, benefit the community and make the community better than like just going, Oh, well we're, we're going to make this content and like, it's going to like help people, but like, we're only going to hire like straight people or only going to hire white lesbians to work on it. Like, no, instead they like went out of their way and they were like, no, we're going to do this. And we're going to like make the community a better place for everyone and a more accepting place for everyone. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and wind this thing down and talk sure. a little bit about, Rather than having the focus of um, this literature and other forms of entertainment and stuff like that um, being of benefit to people who are uh, LGBTQ themselves or are struggling with that or whatever, uh, the benefit for a, a quote unquote mainstream audience to be exposed to it, the, the benefit for like a cis white male to read something uh, like Peter in the concrete jungle himself. Um, 
like talk talk about the benefit you you see for people like that to be reading works like this and and for that matter watching a show like transparent well i think the benefit to it is like generally just understanding um the struggles of other people um better because i mean again you know we keep going back to harry potter so the you know somebody could read harry potter and like you know people aren't wizards like not to the not to the extent that like harry potter is a wizard but like spoken like a true muggle you know (laughs) but the um but i think that you know reading that story like people can better understand what it means to like have a dead parent and like if they have a friend that has like a dead like a dead parent or is unfortunately like both of their parents have died and they're being raised by a relative you can better empathize with that and i think that the same can go for like lgbtq literature that if you're like a straight this white person and you're reading like a story about like you know like a queer person of color living in like a socioeconomically poor neighborhood if you're reading that kind of story then you can better empathize with that and understand that and then you know because you have that privilege because you have that power get up and do something about it I think that's the benefit of having like a more mainstream audience. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's uh, finish this thing up with some advice. If there is anyone listening to this that is sort of struggling with finding their own voice or their own identity in life or anything like that, um, as being somebody that has gone through something similar and is trying to help people like that, what sort of advice would you give? Um, The advice that I would give is don't back away from who you are. And what I mean by that is not necessarily like coming out or being out because I know that can be dangerous for a lot of people and very risky, but it's allowing yourself to have the journey and explore your boundaries and explore your consciousness and who you are. Wow. Succinct and beautiful and to the point. I love that. That is a great, (laughs) great advice. It took me a long time to like have the language for my own journey. I went back and forth for a long time where I was like, Oh, I'm bisexual. Wait, no, I'm gay. Wait, no, I don't know if I'm anything. I'm just not going to use a label for a while. Cause I don't want to like stick myself to like one person that I can fall in love with. And I don't necessarily know what any of this means. Once I got into college, somebody gave me the word queer. I was like, wait, I think that's it. I think that's the word. <laughs> can you say it again? <laughs> so, you know, it takes a lot of time to find the words and the language that, you know, perfectly describes you and makes you the most comfortable in your own skin. And I think allowing yourself to have that journey is so important. I love it. I love it. Um, awesome. Maura, this has been so great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, Just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.